Welcome to episode 69 of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast, where we discuss all things relating to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Dermot. And I'm Kelly. Good to have you here tonight, Dermot, as Thanks. always. Thank you. All right, I've got a really like easy softball question right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Be Duh. first. Uh, do you believe in reincarnation? Sometimes. Yeah, I've got some funny feelings and dreams. Okay, what what are the, the times when you do and the times when you don't? Uh, oh, it just varies. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. My main thought is, oh God, please don't send me back to this awful place again. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be a baby. Mm-hmm. Eating baby food. And... I think that's the part of life most people want to recreate. What, being a baby? Yeah. Crazy. No. And and you wouldn't know who your parents would be. I got lucky that's this. True. I got lucky this time around. I wouldn't be lucky second time around. Well, we'll leave that as a little preview for our topic today. Before we get into our main topic, though, we've got some business. First of all, we are a blog as well as a podcast, and we've got a new post on our blog, which listeners can find at bloomsofbarnacles.com. And that post is entitled Incubism. What is this post about, Dermot? Incubi were sort of supernatural beings that would prey on people, Mm -hmm. and succubus would attach themselves to men and an incubus to f- women or was it the other way around i can't remember succubus is a sexy lady demon and incubus is a sexy man demon right right and they would prey on you when you slept and mm-hmm. give you all kinds of horrible ideas what does that have to do with ulysses um there's an incubus in it isn't there no <laughs> oh come on incubism is the technique of the sixth episode of ulysses entitled hades hmm and when I looked over the correspondences for that chapter, uh, like most people, I said, what the heck? In, in uh, several thousand words, I answer the question, what the heck? Uh, what incubism means, the various possible interpretations of that word, which I believe was coined by Joyce, because it's not in any of the dictionaries. And Dermot did some artwork for it, which, uh, again, I've always imagined an incubus as being like a sexy ghost, but Dermot kind of went in his own direction on this one. I've watched him with Star Trek, maybe. Yeah, it's a little uh, sort of like cephalopod, Timothy Lovecraft as well, mm-hmm. glued to the guy's back and he's pulling his hat off and scooping out the brain. Yeah, and you chose to draw a hat on purpose, right? Yeah, because there's a lot of hats in this chapter. There's a lot right? of hats, yeah. a lot of hats in this uh, post yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Hats all over, it's back in the, the hat era. So if you want to know why we're talking about hats and, and incubism and Hades and Lovecraft... Check out our blog post, Incubism, at bloomsbarnacles.com. And naturally, since Dermot is quite a gifted artist, he's done some artwork for this podcast episode as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that artwork? Yes, it's Molly and Leopold's bedroom, and she's scarfing down her breakfast, and he's dressed up as Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Is she impressed? No. Is she impressed with the breakfast? No. And there's a broken commode. Yes. And a nymph. Yes. Now, Dermot did really nice on this one. Oh, yeah, and the, uh, the commode says out of order. Yes, yeah. that's why she's using the orange keyed chamber pot, which we'll mm. discuss momentarily. Uh, there's a lot of little details in this. Um, I think you see Bloom's everyday trousers left off on the chair there. Uh, Dermot did a great job on this one, so check it out. And they can find that along with the show notes for this episode at... Also, bloomsandbarnacles.com. Great. Let's uh, give some shout-outs before we move into the text. First of all, thank you so much for everyone who donated in the last fortnight. Donations really help keep us chugging along. I bought some books I've been mainly reading on Google Preview for the last two years in the last few months, which is thrilling for me. 
we always like to say donations buy us coffee, which is the real engine behind Blooms and Barnacles. Uh, anyway, we would like to thank Paul Mitchell, Charles Ullman, Andrew Basquill, and Simon Henschel. Thank you so much. I also want to give out a shout out to the podcast U22, which is an upcoming limited series about Ulysses and its uh, 100th year. It's, it's being put on by uh, some professors from the University of California, Berkeley, and they are going to do 18 episodes, one for each episode of Ulysses, starting on Bloomsday this year and ending in February for the centenary of Ulysses. They interviewed me, so I'm going to be on one of those. Um, I don't know which one, so you just have to listen to the whole thing and find out. But it's it's a very different format from our show, for sure. Uh, they've got experts. They've got weird podcasters. I ended up talking about Nicolas Cage, so I'm <laughs> sure they're going to keep that section, uh, most of all. And I talk about Cersei, which is my favorite episode of Ulysses, as devotees will know. So uh, be sure to check that out. I will have... I will I will mention it again before it comes out. Actually, no, I won't because this is our last episode before Bloomsday. So U22, check it out. It has nothing to do with the band U2. You might be thrilled or disappointed to learn. Thrilled, hopefully. <laughs> there was a moment when I received the email where I briefly thought it said U2, and I was like, what? Bono likes me. Oh, that, Bono, you know, The Edge, even Adam Clayton or Larry Mullen Jr., if you're out there and you're listening, please get in touch. Bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. Get in touch. And we've also, so moving on from imaginary listeners to real listeners, we've got some listener mail, and I'm going to have Dermot read that for us. This is from Ronan and Donegal, and it might be Ronan, because it's got fathers on the O and the A, so apologies if I mangled it. Uh, he writes, I would just like to say how thoroughly I enjoy the podcast. It's endlessly enjoyable and informative. For the past month or two, I've been listening to the Proteus episodes, and somehow you've made almost 30 hours of waiting through the mind of Stephen entertaining. Favorite quote, big poochy energy. Thank you again for your wonderful podcast and all the work you do, Ronan. Thank you. We always love to hear it from a fan of Ulysses and The Simpsons. <laughs> I love when people quote things back to me that I don't remember saying, but they're good. That, that's a, a good feeling. Hmm. Finally, our last little bit of business before we dive in. Bloomsday 2021 is right around the corner. It's June 1st today, and we are collecting samples from readers like you to play in our Bloomsday episode because one of our, our release dates this year is Bloomsday proper. So there's still time to submit if you want to. We're looking for a roughly five to seven minute clip of you reading your favorite scene from Ulysses. We've had We've had a lot of volunteers so far, so if you think you'd like to do this, first of all, yes, you can. There's plenty of time to do so, but hop on our website at bloomsandbarnacles.com and check out the Bloomsday 2021 tab. There's a link to a spreadsheet there, which will show you which sections have already been claimed. Uh, you have enough time to hear about this for the first time and submit your favorite passage. They're due by the 13th of June, which is a long way away, so... Get on it. It's going to be a great episode. All right, Dermot, shall we get into the text? At last. All right, so we're skipping ahead a little bit. Last time we did a show about Orientalism, and the section that comes right after that is about Jewish settlements in Palestine, which, again, given kind of the state of the world right now, we're choosing to forego that topic until some point in the future. So we're going to skip over that. 
Uh, there is a post at our blog called Agendat Natayim. If you want to read about it, um, at some point you'll get to hear my nasally voice explain it to you, but that won't be today. And the section that comes after that, basically, Bloom walks home uh, with his kidney. He kind of picks up the mail and then cooks breakfast for Molly. And you know what? I really respect you guys as my listeners, and I don't think that you need me to explain that to you. So we're going to kind of skip over that, and we're going to look at some information on pages 63 through 65 in my copy of Ulysses, the Vintage International Edition from 1990, and we're going to talk about metempsychosis. But I did want to cover a few key points from the part that we skipped. So real quick, we'll go through these bullet points here. First of all, when Bloom gets back to the house, Dermot, the mail has arrived. Can you... Can you read the spot where he picks up his mail? Two letters on the card lay on the half floor. He stooped and gathered them. Mrs. Marion Bloom. His quickened heart slowed at once. Bold hand, Mrs. Marion. So, bold hand addressed to Mrs. Marion Bloom. Do you see why that is significant? Mm. No. In 1904, it would have been customary to address a letter to Leopold Bloom's wife as Mrs. Leopold Bloom. Oh, okay. And he is kind of being left out of the picture here. By someone with a bold hand, but who's not maybe the the feminist that this gesture would show. Mm -hmm. Quite quite the opposite, actually. All right, do you have any guesses as to whom that might be? This would be Blazes Boylan. Blazes Boylan, that's right. So there's one card that he gets for Molly, and it's from Blazes. He can tell by the hand and the Mrs. Marion. He also gets one from Millie. Do you know who Millie is? Oh, that's his daughter? That's his daughter, yeah. Um, And he he sort of scans over it really quickly and reads it like this. Then he slid open his letter, glancing down the page and over. Thanks, new Tam. Mr. Coughlin. Lock Owl Picnic. Young student. Blazes Boylan, Seaside Girls. So those are kind of the, the, the that's the highlight reel of Millie's letter. So we'll, we'll look at that more in depth when Bloom does. Hmm. Uh, but that's not today. And in any case, Bloom kind of goes upstairs, delivers Molly her mail, before going back downstairs to put his kidney in the pan to fry. And while he does this, this, this part, there's, there's nothing like plot driven in here. It's just a cat moment that I thought you'd enjoy because... Bloom feeds his cat second breakfast, (laughs) and I'd like you to read that. While he unwrapped the kidney, the cat mewed hungrily against him. Give her too much meat, she won't mouse. Said they won't eat pork. Kosher. Here. He let the blood-smeared paper fall to her and dropped the kidney amid the sizzling butter sauce. Any comments on that as a a cat lover? Very spoiled cat. (laughs) (laughs) Getting some kidney blood? We have a few of them. Do you think it's true that cats keep kosher and won't eat pork? Oh, they love pork. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Finally, there's a, a mention of Bloom drinking from a mustache cup. So just seeing that, what, what do you think the first time you saw the term mustache cup? I, w- I would have guessed that there was a gizmo to keep your big, gigantic 19th, mm-hmm. early 20th century Edwardian Georgian uh, mustache from <laughs> looking like it's a dripping horror. See, I always imagine this as a, a cup with like a mustache design right, on the right, side, right. just like as a picture. Yeah. But I learned, and there's a great Atlas Obscura article about mustache cups that will go in our mm. show notes. Mm-hmm. And Dermot is correct. It's a cup with a barrier built into the top so that 
it keeps your mustache dry, but then there's a little sipping hole in it where you can get the, the tea out of. Can we post the link to that Michelin Web sketch of Tash, Man of Steel, where he has the big mustache? I don't remember a, that. He has a nervous breakdown because he drinks milk and the milk gets in the Tash and he runs away screaming. Yes, we can post it um, as long as you show it to me first because, again, I have no memory of Tash Man. <laughs> what was Tash Man? It was, it was a spoof of Daniel Day-Lewis in uh, There Will Be Blood. Oh, okay, I might remember and that. Right. big, gigantic mustache. All right. And, and, he, and the guy, the interviewer, forces him to drink milk because he knows he'll have a mental breakdown. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's move, let's move <laughs> on with Ulysses. So Bloom puts a kidney on to fry, then makes classic blunder, leaves it, and goes upstairs to deliver Molly her breakfast. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what's going to happen to that kidney. Yep. Go ahead and read this passage. Nudging the door open with his knee, he carried the tray in and set it on the chair by the bedhead. What a time you were, she said. She set the brasses jingling as she raised herself briskly, an elbow on the pillow. He looked calmly down on her bulk and between her large, soft boobs, sloping within her nightdress like a she-goat's udder. The warmth of her couch body rose on the air, mingling with the fragrance of the tea she poured. A strip of torn envelope peeped from under the dimpled pillow. In the act of going, he stayed to straighten the bedspread. Who was the letter from, he asked. Bold hand, Marion. And who was the letter from? Oh, we know it's Blazes. Oh, it's Blazes. So what did she do with the the letter? Didn't try to hide it very well, did she? She. This is the interesting part, though. She got it. They both know, like, it, mm. you know, it's something's off here. She, she read it while he was downstairs and then tucked it under her mm. pillow. So he, he, there's no chance of him picking it up and looking at it. Uh, okay. But he can see it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there just enough to tease him? Mm -hmm. How would you describe their relationship just from this description? Frigid. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He's making her breakfast. He's nudging the door open with his knee. He carried the tray in. So that's that's her breakfast that he's made just so mm -hmm. to her liking. Mm. And she says, thank you, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. What a time you were. Yeah. She's not even grateful for it. Yeah. So the, on on the rocks, we'll, we'll say. Yeah. He's to be... Nice, and she's kind of well, shut down. He is, as far as we can tell from this passage, anyway. He is, and he isn't. I mean, as we'll see going forward, Bloom himself also has some irons in the fire. They're mm. just not sending letters to the house, right, for a specific reason. Uh, but we'll leave that till Lotus Eaters. Uh, go ahead, read the next bit. Oh, Boylan, she said, he's bringing the program. What are you singing? Lachi Daram with J.C. Doyle, she said, and Love's old sweet song. Her full lips drinking smiled. Rather stale smell that incense leaves next day, like foul flower water. Would you like the window open a little? She doubled a slice of bread into her mouth, asking, What time is the funeral? Eleven, I think, he answered. I didn't see the paper. Whose funeral is that? And this is Paddy Dignam. That's Paddy Dignam, yeah. Who is, uh, we, we see his funeral later on. Right, so Boylan's bringing the program. She has a singing tour coming up. Um, and he asks what she is singing, and so Molly's a soprano, so she's singing kind of an operatic piece. Mm -hmm. La Chidaram, we'll talk about in a bit, is from Don Giovanni, and uh, and I have a, actually a really nice video, a YouTube video of a performance of that, and we'll put that in our show notes too. And then Love's Old Sweet Song, which I think is also about a, a relationship that's that's kind of gone sour. Now, if 
you were just reading this and you, you, you didn't have me here telling you this. Do you think you'd know this was all going on? No. No, that's why you got to read Ulysses at least twice, guys. Uh, rather stale smell that incense leaves the next day. I believe in, in Ithaca, Bloom comes home in the middle of the night and burns incense. So I think that must be a habit of his. I've been leaving around till the next day. Let's let's get into like some, some meteor stuff here. Following the pointing of her finger, he took up a leg of her soiled drawers from the bed. No. Then a twisted grey garter looped round the stocking, rumpled, shiny sole. No, that book. Other stocking, her petticoat. It must have fell down, she said. He felt here and there. Voglio inon vore. Wonder if she pronounces that right. Voglio, not in the bed. Must have slid down. He stooped and lifted the valence. The book fallen sprawled against the bulge of the orange-keyed chamber pot. So how did Bloom know that she wanted that book? Oh, she points her finger. She doesn't, right? even, she doesn't even ask, she just points. Yeah, Molly asks for things just by pointing. Hmm. I think it's it's kind of clever. We'll get into this a little bit here, but she, notice she also says it must have fell down here. She she drops her participle, mm -hmm. so it's all it's all very just so like you have to read it very carefully to kind of get what's going on. But she she re was reading a book, dropped it down, and it almost fell into their chamber pot, uh, which is pretty gross. Mm. All right, so there's a, a bit of a la bit of Italian in here, which neither of us speak Italian, so. Uh, if you can pronounce this better, uh, read it in your beautiful Italian and send it to us. We'll, we'll play your pronunciation in an upcoming episode. I will try this out. This, this lyric is voglio e non vore. And so this is kind of showing Leopold being very concerned about Molly's, at least on his unperceived lack of culture. So she's seeing this, this famous operatic piece and he's really worried that she won't be able to pronounce the word voglio which is, is hard for English speakers because that, that, that G-L sound, there's kind of a Y in there. It's hard to get just right if you're not an Italian speaker. And he's probably worried she's going to say Voglio. And this line comes from a song, uh, La Ci Darm La Mano, which is from the opera Don Giovanni. And as I mentioned above, it's a duet in which the titular Don attempts to lure the peasant woman Zerlina away from her fiancé. So no subtext there. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. However, the funny part here is that Bloom is also misquoting the line himself, which should be vore e non vore, which would be I would like and I would not. She's like trying to make up her mind if she wants to go with this this rich guy or not, mm -hmm. rather than what Bloom says is voglio e non vore, which means I want and I don't want to. So it's it's a little bit different mood to that language there. So. Um, this is all to say that Bloom is very concerned about Molly not being able to do Italian right, but I suspect Bloom's Italian, like Leopold's Italian, isn't that much better than Molly's. Mm. However, this does set up the need for an Italian tutor for Molly, uh, which is one of Bloom's later schemes, which is to set Stephen up with a job as Molly's Italian tutor, since he speaks Italian quite well. Right. Another little detail that's thrown in this section is this orange keyed chamber pot. Uh, what's a what's a, a chamber pot for our more modern readers? Well, it's a little bowl that you poo and pee and when you're in bed. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. And uh, their, their commode in their bedroom is broken, so they're down to using the chamber pot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they don't have to go out to the outhouse because mm. uh, they must not have indoor plumbing in their, in their, their home. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a throwaway reference, it would seem, other than just being kind of gross, but we know that Joyce you know, sees his art as the, the sewer. 
um, and so likes to have these kind of visceral bodily functions. Mm -hmm. But it's also an orange keyed chamber pot. So orange is the corresponding color of Calypso, this this episode. So we got to pay attention right. whenever we see orange. So, and it's, it's keyed. So that is referring to a design on the chamber pot, which is also known as a meander. And it's a, a common decoration that you'd find in like terracotta pots from Homer's time, ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. So this should all kind of start standing out to us as careful readers because it's hinting to sort of a Hellenic or, or Greek undertones to the sequence. Um, do you remember who Molly is in our Homeric par parallels? Oh God, she's uh, the wife of Ulysses. Yeah, Penelope. But she's not only Penelope, she is also Calypso the nymph. Do you remember Calypso's mm. role in, it's in the Odyssey? No. She um, sort of uh, held Odysseus against his will on her island of Ogygia for like 20 years. Okay. Like she's, I, you know, all the monsters and everything, sure, but she's kind of the real reason he's so late coming home um, because she, he can't get off the island. And eventually Zeus finds out about it and sends Hermes to Ogygia to say, Calypso, let Odysseus go. This is ridiculous. But if you remember back to our um, Homeric parallel episode, the, the name Calypso comes from a Greek word meaning conceal, and Calypso hides that message from Zeus. Oh, is that like from... eclipse? Similar etymology, I guess. Um, I, don't, I don't think so. It's Calypto mm -hmm. is the word that it comes from, mm -hmm. and that kind of gets transformed into Calypso. Okay. But she hides this message from Zeus ordering Odysseus's release. Does that sound like anything that's going on in our chapter here? Mm, yeah. Yeah, because Molly is also concealing a letter, right? Right. And while this is all going on, during this concealment, spoiler alert, but Bloom, Leopold Bloom, burns his prized pork kidney because he ends up being distracted talking to Molly about metempsychosis. This is sort of seen as like a, a burnt offering one might make to curry the favor of a goddess or a nymph. But sadly, Bloom's sacrifice does not appease his nymph. And that's kind of this, this little vignette in a nutshell. Mm. All right, so there's more to it, though, of course. There's always more. Can you read the next passage? Sure here, she said. I put a mark in it. There's a word I wanted to ask you. She swallowed a draft of tea from her cup held by knot handle, and having wiped her fingertips smartly on the blanket, began to search the text with the hairpin till she reached the word. Met him what? he asked. Here, she said. What does that mean? He leaned downward and read near her polished thumbnail. Met him psychosis. Yes, who's he when he's at home? Metempsychosis, he said, frowning. It's Greek, from the Greek. That means the transmigration of souls. Oh, rocks, she said. Tell us in plain words. Right, metempsychosis. So what, what's metempsychosis? Um, reincarnation. Reincarnation, yeah. And Molly kind of struggles to pronounce her, make sense of it. And uh, we learn in a later episode, Lestragonians, that what she came up with is metempsychosis. <laughs> which I find really charming. The who's he when he's at home, that part I, I'm just kind of noticing now, and I, I really don't know what that means. Although I do like to, just as a, a bit of an aside, um, that he says she drinks tea from her cup held by not handle end, mm -hmm. which is like this. Oh, okay. Um, well, who's he when he's at home is like, just, it's an English, I think, turn of phrase. Oh, well, what does it mean? If something is like a highfalutin word or... Oh. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it before. I thought it was some kind of wordplay or something. No. Okay, okay. Interesting. Well, thank you. Metempsychosis. 
the transmigration of souls, reincarnation as we normally call it nowadays. We covered this a lot in Proteus, um, seen in that episode kind of in the motions of the tides and various other things. We did a lot of episodes on Proteus, so go check those out. When Stephen was talking about reincarnation, his approach was very metaphysical, very esoteric, but Bloom's approach to tackling metempsychosis is more didactic, meaning uh, he's hoping to impart a little culture to his unintellectual wife. Because he's very worried about this aspect of Molly. He kind of fancies him this like himself, this kind of scientific mind or this intellectual mind. Now we, we get his thoughts kind of juxtaposed with Stevens, so mm-hmm. they're less impressive to us. But he's always very concerned that Molly's not intellectual enough. Molly, on the other hand, kind of responds to his little lesson by saying, oh, rocks, tell us in plain words. Well, he's explained Madame Psychosis with the word transmigration. Which, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's problematic. Anthony Burgess, in his book about the works of Joyce, entitled Rejoice, likens Bloom's attempt here to the Bloomian version of Buck Mulligan Hellenizing the Wild Irish, and they refuse to be Hellenized. Mm. Right? He tries, he tries his Greek on her, and she's just like, I don't know what that is. I don't want that. Explain it like a normal person. Mm-hmm. James Joyce, for his part, was a bit more of a Daedalus than a Bloom. Uh, he was very fascinated by the concept of reincarnation. So, sort of, at, when he was young, after he dumped Catholicism, he dabbled in sort of occult and esoteric beliefs for a bit before also dumping those. Richard Elman, in his biography of Joyce, recounts a story where young Joyce turned up the flat of famed Dublin mystic George A.E. Russell, uh, kind of in the middle of the night, to drill him for information on reincarnation and some of these other subjects. And you'll notice Stephen is asked about this late-night rendezvous with Russell in Eolus under the headline, A Man of High Morale. Uh, so that's our seventh episode of Ulysses. So Joyce kind of is working this this personal interest in reincarnation into the fabric of Ulysses. So it's it's very important to note any time reincarnation comes up. Even more important than an orange-keyed chamber pot is this idea of metempsychosis, if you can believe it. Because even though he, you know, lost an interest in the occult and the, the mystic, he held on to this interest in reincarnation. So that's really kind of what we're going to explore today. So Stuart Gilbert, who wrote a book called Ulysses, a Study, said that understanding reincarnation is the key to understanding Ulysses as a whole, he wrote. The book itself, the record of a day in a man's life, is a synthetic illustration of life's little day, the interval between two periods of darkness and repose. And so while we tend to think of reincarnation as originating in Eastern traditions like Hinduism or Buddhism, uh, ancient Greek beliefs and also Judaism allow for reincarnation. Yeah, the Pythagoreans were a religious sect and they all believed in it. So Ulysses' most basic premise, which is the Odyssey, but all in one day in 1904 Dublin, is kind of what makes metempsychosis such a key theme. Even if you only have a very cursory understanding of the novel, it's probably likely that you know that Stephen, Leopold and Molly, their friends, are kind of these updated Irish versions of classical Greek heroes. However, if you dig deeper, you'll start finding other parallels as well to, to Hamlet, to biblical figures, A Thousand and One Nights. Right. There's so many. And this is possible through metempsychosis. So... Bloom is not meant to be a literal reincarnation of Odysseus, but rather a literary reincarnation. You follow? Mm-hmm. 
Molly is able to inhabit the position of both the nymph Calypso and Odysseus's wife, Penelope, in the Odyssean narrative of Ulysses, because she's not a literal reincarnation of either. So this idea fits snugly with Joyce's interest in the cyclical model of history put forth by Giambattista Vico, in which figures and events recur in these large, like, thousand-year cycles, but every time they repeat, uh, they degrade a little bit. So, aren't you with me so far? Yep. Let's digress. Go ahead and read this, this next paragraph. He smiled, glancing askance at her mocking eyes. The same young eyes. The first night after the charades, Dolphin's Barn, he turned over the smudged pages. Ruby, the pride of the ring. Hello. Illustration. Fierce Italian with carriage whip. Must be Ruby, pride of the on the floor naked. Sheet kindly lent. The monster mafia desisted and flung his victim from him with an oath. Cruelty behind it all. Doped animals. Trapeze at hanglers. Had to look the other way. Mob gaping. Break your neck and we'll break our sides. Families of them. Boned them young so they met him psychosis. That we live after death. Our souls. That a man's soul after he dies. Dignum's soul. So this is Bloom's dream of consciousness. So what do you pick out of that? <laughs> Dolphin's Barn, I know well. We used to drive with that on the bus. Uh, probably very different in the 1980s when I was going nearby. I would imagine. The, uh, some things about this uh, that might jump out to people like, what the hell is a Dolphin's Barn? Yeah. Um, that, that's very true. I had heard a pretty story that it was called Dolphin's Barn because the French Dauphin visited Dublin and stayed there. Well, I found a medieval map from one of the Irish archaeological societies and it's dated from the 1300s to the 1600s and it was called Delphine's Barn. So there may have been a French guy called Delphine, hmm. but in, in any event, he must have made a big impact for, for his barn to basically to this day. Now, the city has grown out beyond this what would have been the countryside mm-hmm. and and the whole area is now called Dolphin's Barn. A bit, a bit rough. Are you suggesting that Ireland is not a whimsical place where people keep dolphins in barns? I wish, yeah. Let's see, I Ruby the Pride of the Ring, I'm guessing this is some kind of show you went to? Like a circus sort of thing? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, the doped animals, so I guess he's he doesn't like the animals being whipped in the in the circus. Mm-hmm. Um, the tra- trapeze of hanglers have to look the other way, didn't want to see people fall into the ground. Um, break your neck and we'll break our sides. No, that's pretty dark. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think what that means is that the acrobat falls and breaks their neck. We'll have a good laugh. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Um, families of them bone them young. So they met him psychosis. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, that's pretty grim. Yeah. <laughs> and he ends up at... Oh, back at, at Dignum, I mean. Like yeah. the, fu- the, fu- the death, the funeral. Yeah. yeah. He's got death on the brain. Yeah. Right. So Molly says to him, oh, rocks, tell us in plain words. Like, you didn't describe it right. So he's kind of trying to smile through her, making fun of him. And then, yeah, the Dolphin's Barn, I believe, is where they met that Hmm. first night after the charades. Um, And then he turned over the smudge pages. So that's Ruby, the Pride of the Ring is the book that she, like, tossed on the ground next to the chamber pot. Uh, Hello. So he opens up illustration and he describes this illustration. And then the monster Maffei bit is the caption under the illustration. Mm-hmm. And then he thinks about the circus, about going to see Hangler's Circus, which is a real circus in Dublin. And then, yep, some very dark stuff about circus life. Then back, we live after death, metempsychosis, our souls. 
that a man saw after he dies, Dignam's soul. So he's he's kind of getting lost in the weeds here. Hmm. I think it really threw him off when, when Molly teased him. Hmm. So let's talk about a few of the details in here. Ruby, the pride of the ring, like I said, is the book where Molly supposedly came across the word metempsychosis. So not in a book of philosophy like a young Deadless, but instead in this popular novel, which is about a young woman who is a circus performer who is beaten and abused by the quote monster Maffei, who is a, a fierce Italian with a carriage whip. Molly has finished the book and is ready to move on to another novel. She complains in an upcoming line that there's nothing smutty in it. So she was not into this book. Molly wants smut. More than one commentator when I was reading about this said that Molly says there's nothing smutty in it because she was relieved that there was no smut in Ruby. However, I'm pretty sure Molly just wants some better quality erotica. Yes. Ruby is thought to be based on a real novel from the period called Ruby, a novel founded on the life of a circus girl. So uh, Joyce kind of punched up the title, but it covers pretty similar content or territory. Um, and it even contains the image that Leopold describes in this passage of Ruby, pride of the on the floor naked, she kindly lent. I'll put that image up on the website in the show notes if you want to go see it. I don't know that there's like a, a note or a letter or anything Joyce wrote that said he based it on this book, but it's so similar that it just like it has to be, right? Mm. The real life Ruby does not contain the word metempsychosis, but no matter, Ruby allows the Blooms to encounter the theme of metempsychosis through popular culture. Stevens encountering it through Berkeley and Aristotle and you know, this, these high-minded topics, right? Yeah. The Blooms are encountering the idea of reincarnation through Ruby Pride of the Ring, which is a, a novel deemed not smutty enough. They understand the basics of metempsychosis, but they're probably unlikely to dig any deeper into its subtleties. They're unlikely to go down the sandy mount and think about the the, the delicate interplay of the, the sand and the the salt water and how that represents metempsychosis. <laughs> it shows us the blooms are ordinary people. They're not unintelligent, but they're really not approaching Stephen's sort of dizzying intellectual trapeze act in Proteus either. Let's go on. Did you finish it? He asked. Yes, she said. There's nothing smutty in it. Is she in love with the first fellow all the time? Never read it. Do you want another? Yes. Get another of Paul de Cox. Nice name he has. She poured more tea into her cup, watching it flow sideways. I must get the Capel Street library book renewed, or the right to Kearney, my guarantor. Reincarnation, that's the word. Some people believe, he said, that we go on living in another body after death, that we lived before. They call it reincarnation, that we all lived before on the earth thousands of years ago or some other planet. They say we've forgotten it. Some say they remember their past lives. Oh, Bloom. Bless your heart. He's still trying to explain it to her, and she is, like, so moved on. She wants Paul de Kock. What's, what's Paul de Kock? <laughs> I'm guessing he's a, a writer. Yeah, there's and, a, 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 a caricature of him from the, yeah. the period here. Yeah, writing. He looks a bit like, uh, a bit like Mark Twain. He looks like a, a big-headed guy yeah. uh, r- riding a pussy. Yeah, riding a, <laughs> to be cat, very a cat that's not very happy being ridden by a... Paul, Paul de Kock. By a cock, giant cock, you know. I find his, so he's a real person, but I've always found his name very interesting. Do you know what Molly's nickname for Leopold is? No. She calls him Poldy. Hmm. Does Leopold. that stir anything in your imagination? Poldy. Hmm. 
So is she playing on, she's not playing on Paul the Cock, is she? Uh, she might not be, but Joyce is. Uh, okay. She wants get another of. Oh, okay, I get it. Say it. Get another of cock. Poldy cock. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. All right, we'll come back to that at the end. That's gonna be our big finish today. Okay. Go ahead, read the next paragraph. The sluggish cream wound curdling spirals through her tea. Better reminder of the word metempsychosis. An example would be better. An example. The bath of the nymph over the bed. Given away with the Easter number of photo bits. Splendid masterpiece in art colours. Tea before you put milk in. Not unlike her with her hair down. Slimmer. Three and six I gave her for the frame. She said it would look nice over the bed. Naked nymphs. Grease. And for instance, all the people that lived then. Again, Bloom is, is trying to like think of a, a way to explain metempsychosis to Molly, who again has moved on. Like She wasn't that interested. She just wanted to know what it meant. So he's going to give her an example. And he decides to explain it again in terms of Greek mythology. And he's inspired to do this by a framed print of a, a bathing nymph, which hangs above their bed. Again, it's these kind of like highfalutin ideas meeting pop culture. So Ulysses is so happy to like just repeatedly just shove us into the intellectual deep end. Like think of all the things we had to learn about and understand in order to understand Proteus. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Like it's it's a just just such a huge bre huge breadth of knowledge, right? Yep. I, the ones I always go to were Aristotle and Berkeley, and we kind of show up to Ulysses prepared for these sorts of intellectual trials. Like we know it's going to be hard, but the thing I, I I think we're not always prepared for is that Ulysses is very full of pop culture references. They're just things that are lost on us because it's all this ephemera from the turn of the last century that we don't really remember. Mm, yep. That would have been very apparent to people living, I guess in 1922 when it was published, but like in the intervening years, people have kept reading Aristotle, but they have not kept reading photo bits. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk about photo bits. So uh, this is the origin of that framed art print hanging over the Bloom's bed, which is entitled The Bath of the Nymph. Photobits was a real magazine, and this was a, a giveaway courtesy of that same photography magazine. Like I said, it was a real magazine, and the photography it featured tended to be sort of softcore pornography. The, um, I found a great article in James Joyce Quarterly about it, which will be linked in our show notes. And so you, you can go, and they've reproduced pages of Photobits in this uh, scholarly article. Well worth your time. It's a lot of images sort of like nude bathing women, but like with their backs coyly turned away. So you can see like the shape of their back, but nothing on the front. Um, yeah, bathing beauties at the seashore, kind of like pulling up their skirts. So you see their ankles. Um, women who are reportedly aristocratic, draped with Grecian togas, revealing a tasteful yet titillating amount of skin. Uh, no side boobs, but, you know, there's there's some shoulders and stuff in play. Got to leave something for the 1920s to, to pick up on. Well, well, we'll get to that. The Bath of the Nymph seems like it was probably fabricated by Joyce. It's like that, that wasn't a real one that showed up in photo bits. But it's definitely the way it's described is like a thing that would be in photo bits. Like a, a nude nymph and it's it's, you know, couched in this Greek mythology. So it's tasteful. It's art. But it's still like you're hanging up a picture of a naked lady, right? Mm. You know, you're not thinking about ancient Greece when you're looking at her photo bits. So 
PhotoBits encourages readers to frame its supplemental images with ad copy that sounds suspiciously similar to Leo Leopold's inner monologue here, splendid masterpiece in art colors. So for instance, the September 1900 issue of PhotoBits boasted of that issue's photo supplement, quote, they are veritable gems printed on thick India paper in various art colors and are intended for framing. And later in 1905, they promised hung in a bedroom. It has a warm, cozy effect. So this is definitely like a, a tentacled cephalopod gotten into the, the Bloom's mm. brain uh, through incubism, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, check out that blog post. Um, so having a framed photo bits art print in one's home wasn't exactly scandalous, but it's definitely a class marker. Like it really marks Leopold and Molly as solidly lower middle class, right? They're pretentious enough to want a classical seeming work of art, quote unquote, in their home, but they're not truly cultured enough to see through the cheapness of the print that they chose. Mm -hmm. And the, the bathing nymph in this portrait uh, does remind Leopold of Molly, like a younger Molly, he says, not unlike her with her hair down, slimmer. And he glances at Molly's cup of tea and then up to the tea-colored print. And he thinks, tea before you put the milk in. Like, that's kind of the, like, sepia tone to it, maybe. Which makes me think, like, despite all the soaring rhetoric about the the splendid art colors, like, the images from photo bits seem like they must fade fairly quickly. Mm. Like, it's it's kind of... Yeah. Those, those splendid art colors have, uh, you know, dampened with time. Mm. As a little epilogue here, PhotoBits went through a metempsychosis of its own in 1909, transforming into the more outlandish and sadomasochistic Bits of Fun, which was the bane of censors. Uh, James Joyce, for his part, was a fan. He urged his friend Frank Budgeon in a letter. He gave him some advice for when he uh, was sending Bits of Fun issues to Joyce, which Joyce refers to as B of F. So, like, he's a real fan, right? Yeah. You know, like, it's like, say, L-O-T-R, right? Yeah. It's... I mean, they're short words, <laughs> and he's already B-O-F. All right, so he wrote to Frank Budgeon. I perceive the editor of B-O-F has been before the beak and finds so whatever else in that way you send had better be enclosed in a copy of the Christian Hero or some such paper. What does he mean by being before the beak? Ah, uh, he's 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 gotten trouble. Oh, be, and the big oh, and yeah. fine, right? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So he's been for the bench, or he's been yeah. fine for. I, I imagine like a big like vulture beak, like kind of pecking at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Christian hero. <laughs> so for all the people on social media who complain about our blog being too lowbrow and cartoonish, uh, there there's your man Joyce. This uh, yep. Um, incomparable genius. He liked bits of fun as he well. He was a genius, but he also liked um, naked S&M pictures. Mm -hmm. And who doesn't? Who among Indeed. us doesn't? Indeed. The Pope himself <laughs> is par partial to the occasional BDSM. The, the, Nothing wrong the, with the it The occasional all. bit of fun. And if you have a problem with that, you can call <laughs> Joe Duffy on Liveline. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't want to... Let's just keep going. Uh, can you read the next passage? He turned the pages back. Metempsychosis, he said, is what the ancient Greeks called it. They used to believe you could be changed into an animal or a tree, for instance. What they called nymphs, for example. Her spoon ceased to stir up the sugar. She gazed straight before her, inhaling through her arched nostrils. There's a smell of burn, she said. Did you leave anything on the fire? The kidney, he cried suddenly. 
All right, and scene. So let's talk about this. Leopold, like we said, is inspired by his photobits print to expand his definition of metempsychosis for Molly's benefit. And what he says is true. Greek mythology is rife with stories of beautiful nymphs being pursued by male sex pests only to be saved at the last minute by being turned into some sort of plant. This isn't quite an example, in my opinion, of the transmigration of souls. Yeah, it's more, yeah, more like actual, you know, mm -hmm. transformation into something else rather than reincarnation, yeah. Yeah. On one hand, you could say Bloom's ultimate conception of reincarnation hues a little bit more closely to that Kabbalistic maxim, God becomes man, becomes fish, becomes barnacle goose, becomes feather bed mountain from Proteus, mm -hmm. where we see this procession of forms, rather than that idea of reincarnation maybe from Hinduism or Buddhism where, you know, a physical body dies, the soul leaves and goes into another, which to me is what the transmigration part is. Mm. Bloom is kind of imagining this procession of shifting physical forms. Uh, it's more of a metamorphosis than a metempsychosis. So Leopold is very partial to a quirk that Richard Elman calls a, a bloomism, which Elman defines as a, quote, an uneasy but scrupulous recollection of a factual near miss. I think he's starting to, he, he's, he knows what reincarnation is, but I think he's started to muddle it in his head with metamorphosis. And that's kind of where he's getting into the whole like, Greek nymph thing. Right. And it's thematic for this passage, but that is a thing that Bloom does. Like he, he's got other words too that he doesn't quite get right. And they tend to sound sciencey or philosophical, but they're not quite right. Mm -hmm. And let it be noted that while Leopold gets a bit judgy over Molly's lapses of knowledge, he's kind of guilty of the same right. very minor crime, if you could even call it that. And here's, the here's where the thematic stuff kind of kicks in. Seeing Molly as a nymph allows Leopold to live in his current delusion, right? That, you know, he he's being a, a good doting husband, he's making her breakfast just the way she likes it on the humpy tray or tea just so, just the right amount of bread. Mm-hmm. It allows him to live in this delusion without actually confronting Molly and working through the thorny, emotionally fraught issues that have brought them into their current impasse, which is just too painful, right? You could look at her on some level as like, oh, she's this this impassive nymph. You can't change a, a supernatural being. They just kind of do what they want. She's metamorphoses or metempsychoses, I guess, into a print of a nymph. A print never changes. Right? Maybe the colors fade, but it never grows old. It never gives birth to a son who dies. Mm -hmm. It never wants sex that you can't give it. It never reminds you of traumas. And a print never turns the blazes boiling and makes you feel like less of a man. That print stays the same year after year, benign and inoffensive, just kind of dipping her toe in that water. Right. So Bloom can look up each night as he and Molly sleep head to toe and focus on how that perfect pristine bathing nymph is just like Molly, just like she used to be before all their problems. And he gets to live in that, I don't know if nostalgic is the right term, but he gets to live in that imagined past mm -hmm. when he looks into that print and sees Molly as a nymph. Rather than reaching out to his imperfect but living wife just a few inches away, right? Maintaining his kind of stasis, which is not good, prevents him from dealing with the really hard stuff. Right. So ironically, Bloom's patterns allow him to 
conceal himself from Calypso, the concealer. So in the Odyssey, Bloom's Odysseus's first challenge is to escape his sexual entanglement with Calypso in order to return to his wife. Uh, Calypso confronts him, asking him why he would cho choose his mortal wife over her immortal glory, young and beautiful forever. So Leopold Bloom is kind of faced with the same choice, right? He can have Molly the nymph, or he can confront the nymph and have Molly the wife, right? Both his options are Molly. So that's why it's, it's important that she's both, right? He's not fighting a supernatural being to get back to his mortal wife. He needs to get through the, ver the version of her that he can't talk to. He needs to break through that emotional impasse right. to go back to, you know, having a happy marriage, if that's possible. You know, his journey is psychological. He's learning to accept Molly as she is, rather than imagining her as this nymph kind of rendered in splendid art color. And that's the first vital step to real healing. Easier said than done. Hmm. Yeah. Because they do, they do love each other, right? They're, they're on the rocks right now, but I, as, as you get into both their heads, they still like, like, they still like each other. Yeah. I think they still even love each other. But it's just like 10 years of, of distance is, is very long. Yeah. It's very difficult to overcome. So that's Leopold's mind. How about Molly? She's holding on to the similar set of frustrations with her husband, and she knows that her meeting with Blazes Boylan is not just going to be to talk about the program. Like, it's more than just a meeting. There's going to be potted meat, if you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. It's all foreshadowed by his choice of songs, too. I mean, come on. So while Leopold's kind of taking refuge in his little flights of fancy, thinking about the circus and all this other stuff and all the dozens of other things, Molly is seeking for refuge in, in the physical way, in, in bed with Boylan. She's turned off by Leopold's rambling lecture on the transmigration of souls, but she doesn't simply ignore it because she does recall the conversation later in her final solilo soliloquy. She says... That word meant something with hoses in it, and he came out with some jawbreakers about the incarnation. He never can explain a thing simply the way a body can understand. Then he goes and burns the bottom out of the pan, all for his kidney. All right. So Mo Molly, you know, laying down the real talk here. So just as her husband's bloomisms allow us a, a window into his mind, uh, Molly's... She's also a bloom, so I guess it's a bloomism. But she recalls metempsychosis as incarnation, and that's also telling. Because the root of the word incarnate is a body, right? Carnal, car mm -hmm. you know, something carnal. While metempsychosis is linguistically rooted in the psyche, right? That psychosis. So bloom is, is trapped in his own thoughts. Molly's kind of trapped in her own physicality, right? And they definitely represent those two poles in the, the novel. However, her as the embodiment of the body, you know, as someone who's very in tune with their body, Joyce saw the body as a very key element in his novel. I think it's easy to come at something like a novel and see it as all intellectual work, but Joyce really, really emphasized the importance of the human body. Sometimes that comes out in the form of farts and poop and stuff. Sometimes it comes out in this kind of uh, intricate wordplay here. Mm incarnation focusing on that in reincarnation he says among other things my book is the epic of the human body in my book the body lives in and moves through space and is the home of a full human personality the words i write are adapted to express first one of its functions and then another if the characters had no body they would have no mind it's all one if 
Molly represents the body and Leopold represents the mind. They need to come together to be whole, mm. right? Because they're both, they're both half. For metempsychosis to occur, body and soul must be present to, to change into that new and, and better form instead of just continuing to go round and round and down degrading forms. So losing touch with one body or soul leaves both adrift and unable to overcome their burdensome karma. You're just repeating stale patterns again and again and again. You always leave that old incense out and it always smells bad. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where we find Molly and Leopold here in Calypso when we first meet the two of them. And Molly's desire for, again, this is this book is one, one woman's journey to find some high-quality erotica. Uh, not really, but her, her desire for a smuttier book shows that deep down she is ready to make her own Nostos or her own return home to be Penelope to her Odysseus once more because she asked for Poldycock explicitly. Mm -hmm. That's what she wants. She doesn't want, she doesn't want Boylan. She, 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 she wants, she wants Poldy. Mm -hmm. Reincarnation literally means a return to flesh. And it's Poldy's flesh she'd like to return to. No. The end. Yeah, for this week. Yeah. Yeah, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? No, no, that's pretty elegant. Uh, well, thank you very much. It's uh, not often where I talk about cocks and <laughs> things that people call it elegant. <laughs> quite, quite the opposite, in fact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. You're not showing sickness significant respect to James Joyce or his works. Hey, he just wants a little B, B of F. <laughs> <laughs> He's having trouble getting B oh, of F wherever he, he was when he wrote that letter. He just loved the internet. There would be no no Ulysses or Finnegan's no, Wake if he had the internet. Surf and porn. Be a, yeah. Like the rest of us with the cephalopod plucking our brain out. Yep. Yeah. Alright, well, uh... With that image of a, a, brain, a brain plucking cephalopod, let's leave it. Um, our next episode is the Bloomsday Show, and then uh, following that, we are going to do. We we should we should have had three episodes in June this year, but the third episode, which would have been June thirtieth, we are not going to do. We're going to take a hiatus after Bloomsday because what are we doing on the thirtieth of June? Oh, speaking of marital bliss, <laughs> we're getting married. Yeah, we're getting married on the thirtieth. So we decided. Um, we are going to forego that episode and we'll be back in early July after Bloomsday. So the best to you and yours and a good night to all. Whatever. To all a good night. <laughs> see it. See you on Bloomsday. Bye. Bye. listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Your support means the world to us. You can subscribe to Blooms and Barnacles on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place you listen to podcasts.
You can also stream our episodes at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you can do one of three things to help support us. Number one, please donate at bloomsandbarnacles.com. The PayPal donate button is at the upper right-hand corner of the page. This helps us pay for coffee and for hosting fees. Two, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. This helps more people find our show. And three, share us with a friend who you think would enjoy Blooms and Barnacles. Blooms and Barnacles is also a blog. We post new articles and original artwork semi-regularly at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Never miss an update by following us on social media. Search for our group Blooms and Barnacles Podcast on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BarnacleCast. You can also send us an email at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. We met some of our favorite podcast friends through random emails and social media DMs. We'd love to hear from you too, so don't be afraid to shoot us a message anytime. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Bye for now.